Well, in this uh, series going through the Gospel of John, and at this point we're getting into John uh, chapter 16, we're in a section of the Gospel that is one of the longest discourses uh, recorded, Jesus' words recorded. There's four different discourses uh, of Christ recorded in the Gospels for us. This is, this is the longest. There's another really long one in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 known as the Sermon on the Mount. Its corollary is in Luke. Uh, but in this section of John, five chapters or so, um, is, a, is a long, long, long um, message that Jesus is giving uh, to his disciples and part of his recorded prayer. That's really the real Lord's Prayer where he prays for himself, he prays for his current disciples, he prays for all of us who would believe. It's this long discourse, and we're right in the middle of it. Um, and John 16, he's, he's really setting up his disciples for their life in the world without him. After his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, he's, he's positioning them to understand and to be prepared for being in this world without his physical presence. Now, they don't understand it yet. They, 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 they don't understand what he's talking about, what he means, what it's going to entail. They will come to understand it in time. Uh, but right now, they don't. And so he's, he's really positioning them to get ready to have to navigate this world without his physical presence with them. And he sets them up to say, here's what's coming, and here's the help I've already designed and and and. And, and, and set up to give you. And so that's what we're going to learn in John 16. But to get to the first part of John 16 and through that chapter, I need to deal with the end of John 15. Sean did a great job last week uh, talking, teaching about the first part of John 15. But it's, there's so much in that chapter. Uh, we can't get through it all in, in, in a single message time frame. And so I want to wrap up John 15 because it sets up what Jesus is going to tell us uh, through telling his disciples in John 16. So just as a, as a, as a setup, do, do all of you know what cancel culture is? Yeah? When you don't agree with the current theme of, and, 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 and the tenor of the culture, they try to cancel you and shut you up. Well, Jesus is going to introduce cancel culture um, and say, just get ready because it's coming. And so he says in verses 18, 19, and 20 of John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you and wants to shut you up. It's cancel culture. The moment you disagree with the current stream and push and priority of culture. It wants to shut you down. This is what he's saying. And he goes on, says, remember what I said, uh, what I told you. A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, guess what? They're going to persecute you too. If they had obeyed my teaching, they, uh, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So he's saying, just get ready because th this time is coming and is now upon you. When the culture around you is going to try to shut you down and shut you up and make you sit down and, and cancel you and, and the message of me in you. And, and he says, this is what it's going to be, mean to be a Christ follower. So he's positioning his disciples and therefore us to get ready for this that is coming. 
when the message of Christ and the witness of Christ is so counter to culture, cultures want to, they're going to want to cancel you. So they did it to me. They did it to me. You're not greater than me. Get ready. It's coming for you too. But you know, I, I, it, it's, it's so apparent that this is happening. I mean, if you get your eyes open, it, it's pretty apparent. You can see it pretty clearly. And again, I go back to you know, my little soapbox of, of the COVID days. Um, and it was so crystal clear on how the culture felt about the Christian church. When our government would leave strip clubs open and close churches, it was pretty apparent that they were trying to culture, or they were trying to cancel the church. And, and I just, I found it so incredibly mind-blowing that any church would let an ungodly politician say that we can't meet and the church is no longer. I just, I was floored that, that so many churches would, would, would fold up like a cheap lawn chair because some ungodly politician would say we're not a vital entity of the culture anymore. And, and, and Jesus said, just get ready because at every point, at every point, there's something the culture is going to try to shut you down. And, and the churches face this from day one and will always face it as long as the world is the world. We will always face a cancel culture that's trying to get, get Christ, not because we're, and it's, for the message of Christ, not because we're obnoxious. We just need to understand that. Like, just for the message of Christ. And, and Jesus is saying, this is what's coming. So don't be surprised when it happens. I told you up front, this is the way it's going to go down. So don't be surprised and don't shrink and don't take a step back and don't start looking like the culture around you. Like you stay who you are, but understand it's going to try to shut you up. They did me, they're going to you. And Jesus says, because this is the case, because this is the trajectory, because this is what's going to happen, he's saying, he's going to tell them, you can't handle this on your own. You can't navigate this on your own. You can't walk the walk that I'm going to ask you to walk on your own. And so I'm going to give you someone to help you. And so he introduces the role of the Holy Spirit. And he says, back in chapter 14, verse 16, and then in, in, in the end of chapter 15, he says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, when Jesus, when Jesus uses that word, another advocate, there's two Greek words for another. One of the Greek words for another means another of a different kind. Like you didn't like that, I'm going to give you this. That's not the another Jesus is using here. The other word for another is another of the exact same kind. So what Jesus is saying is, is I'm going to ask the Father who's going to give you another helper, advocate, counselor, who is just like me, who is my replica. It's the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask him to give you another helper just like me who will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit will be with you forever. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, uh, who goes out from the Father, he will what? testify about me. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will testify about me. And then watch what he says right after that. He will testify about me. And right after that he says, and you also must testify. For you've been with me from the beginning. 
What he's saying is this, uh, you cannot walk into this, into what you're walking into on your own. So I'm going to ask the Father to give you another of the exact same kind that I am, a helper, a counselor, an advocate, to walk with you forever. And his role, the Holy Spiritual, is to testify about me. And right after that, Jesus says, and you also must testify. Now here's why this is important. The role of the Holy Spirit is as our counselor or advocate. Same word. He's our helper. His job is to testify about Jesus, okay? To give testimony to Jesus to this to a world that doesn't know him. And right after that, Jesus says, you also must testify. Here's how it works. We have to get this right. The Holy Spirit's testimony about Jesus only happens through our testimony about Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives no testimony about Jesus to the world without our lips moving. Jesus, Jesus told us this in Matthew 10. Look, look at what he said. But when they arrest you, he, he doesn't say, no, if it goes bad. He's a when it goes bad. He doesn't say, if they try to cancel you. He says, when they try to cancel you, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking. Who will it be speaking through you? The Holy Spirit. See, our testimony of Jesus is required for the Holy Spirit to testify about Jesus. Our testimony, our speaking, spoken testimony about Jesus is how the Holy Spirit testifies about him. The Holy Spirit doesn't just speak without us. It happens through disciples. It, it, If you've claimed Christ, you, you've had those opportunities where you thought, maybe I should speak up, but I don't know what to say, and I'm not sure it's the right time, right? Guess what? It's the right time. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to testify about Christ, but he doesn't do it unless it's through the lips of the disciples of Christ. So you don't know what to say in that moment. You're not supposed to, because the Bible says that in that moment, you don't know what to say, but the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say, and it'll end up saying what the Holy Spirit wants to say. But I don't know how to say it. You don't have to, because if the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit will tell you how to say what you want to say. Because that's how the Holy Spirit gives testimony to Jesus. It doesn't happen without the lips of the disciples of Christ moving. Do you understand? Wouldn't it be a lot easier if, if God just kind of did all of that without us? Wouldn't that be... Like if we bore no responsibility to this thing, it could just be, you know, Lord, would you just help me a little bit? Because I have some things that if you could just help and you kind of do your thing with Jesus and you just help me. I mean, that's, and that's, I mean, that's often how we approach it. Those moments you don't know what to say, but you know you should say something, don't know how to say it, but you know you should say something, speak up. Because the Holy Spirit will give you words. 
The, the, the question is, do I believe what this says or not? That's the question. Because the Bible says, and as long as we open our mouths, the Holy Spirit will give testimony. But it doesn't do it without us. For whatever reason, God has tied his kingdom advancement to our testimony about Christ. For whatever reason. And Jesus is saying, you're walking into a culture that wants to shut you up. Don't shut up. You can't do this on your own. I'm not asking you to. So I'm going to give you my replica to be with you forever. So that when you choose to open your mouth, because you believe my word, he will speak through you. Do you understand? Do you understand? And so Jesus now gets into what we call John 16. And he did all of that for a setup. In John 16, he says, all this I've told you. I'm trying to prepare you. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Now, that doesn't mean much to us because we've got a church on every corner. We don't have to be committed to a church. We'll just go to a different church. You upset me too much. It's too cold. I don't like what you said. Someone gets a fire. I'll just go to another church. No big deal. Well, back in the day, the synagogue, if you were kicked out of the synagogue, you lost your business, you lost your commerce, you lost your paycheck, you lost your family, you lost your relationships. He's saying, it's going to cost you so much to follow me. You're going to lose your 401k. You're going to lose your paycheck. You're not going to have any vacation time. You're going to be the bottom of the bottom. Your family's going to walk out on you. Your friends are going to walk out on you. People are going to break up with Like you're not going to be invited anymore. And it, it just it's going to cost you. He said, all this I've told you so that you won't fall away. They will do all that to you. They will try to cancel you. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you, they'll think they're offering service to God. See the apostle Paul, before he was changed to Paul and was Saul, he was arresting the church. And at his command was the first martyr, Stephen, in Acts 5 thinking they were doing a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but I'm not gonna, you're not going to see me anymore, so I need to let you know this is what's happening. I'm going to give you someone to help, but you, I just need to, I need to lay this out on the table for you, he says. No. When, he's, when Jesus says in verse 1 of, of, of chapter 16, I've told you things so you will not either fall away or, or, or fall astray. He's, he's, he's talking about like when a, when, a, when a spring trap suddenly, boom, pops. You don't see it coming, you're not ready for it, and all of a sudden, bam, it snaps. Here's what he's saying. Loyalty to Jesus is tested in sudden crisis. Loyalty to Jesus isn't, it, it, it doesn't, our loyalty to Jesus isn't tested when we can prepare for the test. 
when we know something's coming, we can kind of kind of buck up under and get ready for it. And I know how I'm going to respond. Like I'm ready for this. What he's saying is, your loyalty to me is going to be tested when these things happen suddenly, when you can't prepare for them. It's 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 these things that arise without warning, and you don't see it coming, and all of a sudden you're faced with, okay, wait, what, how, why? And all of a sudden, in a moment, your loyalty to Christ is tested. See, most people fall apart, their faith falls apart during the unexpected trials of life, right? Well, I didn't see that one coming. That one shook me. Now I don't know, right? It was Peter. When he could prepare around a table eating dinner, well, I'll be with you forever, Jesus. I'll go, I'll die for you. But at the moment where it was a sudden, yeah, but aren't you his disciple? No, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And he's saying, I'm telling you this so that when those unexpected times comes, you don't fall away. It wasn't until 313 AD at the Edict of Milan that Christianity was tolerated. Up until that point, the first, the first three centuries of our faith, Christians were severely persecuted. Severely. They were, they, they, they were, they were persecuted because of the message of Christ, not because they were obnoxious. A lot, a lot of Christians are persecuted now because they're just obnoxious. <laughs> But originally, they're appreciated because of the message of Christ and the cross, and the world wouldn't tolerate it. We, see, we've, some of us have forgotten, some of you have never known, that Christianity had its birth in persecution, not comfort. It had its birth. Did you know Christianity has never been associated with a political party until the United States of America? And, and now we think we deserve all the protections and rights that our great constitution has to offer. That is not our DNA. It's not the DNA of the church. We've forgotten our roots. And for centuries, upon centuries, Christ followers understanding discipleship, have been martyred for their faith. Now, they didn't know they were martyrs before they were martyred. Nobody sets out to be a martyr. And they didn't know they could be a martyr until they had to. But what they experienced was the presence of the Holy Spirit that gave strength and courage and fortitude and able to stand up in the moment and be counted with those worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Disciples have a history that shows us a daily dependence and reliance and openness to the leading of the Holy Spirit leads one to the place of being able to be faithful in the moments of the most extreme persecution. This is the heritage of disciples of Jesus. This is where we come from. These are fathers and the mothers of our faith. This is, this is what it means to suffer. This is what it means to be part of the faith fraternity. This is what it means. This is our heritage. This is our expectation. And this is our requirement. 
If you call yourself a Christian, let us not forget from where we come. Let's not forget what we were born into as Christians. Let's not trade martyrdom for materialism. Because those who come before us did not. Let's not trade persecution for prosperity. Because we're born of a faith that would rather suffer persecution than plead for prosperity. Let's not trade Christ's likeness for culture. Because ours is a faith that was born in the heart of persecution. And Jesus says, I want you to get ready for this because this is coming. And this is what it means to follow me. If they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. Don't fall astray. Don't fall away. In humility, with patience and fortitude. When I was doing my undergrad study, I read a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And, and some may know about the, the, the apostles, the 11 apostles after Judas, how every one of them died a martyr's death for the sake of the message of the Christ, and except the apostle John, and he was scheduled to, it just didn't work. And though that may be somewhat common knowledge in the world of church about the apostles, what is not common knowledge is how the generation after generation, century after century, rather than bending to a, can- a culture that would cancel the message of Christ, stood up in the face of it with great patience and humility, counting themselves worthy to and joyful to suffer like Christ. One of the most profound books I've read other than the Bible has been the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I just want to share with you just a glimpse throughout the first 250 years before Christianity became favored in the Roman Empire, about how Christ followers, young and old men and women, boys and girls, rather than backing up and shutting up and being counseled by culture, stood up with fortitude, patience, humility for the name of Christ. True stories, Sinferosa, who was a widow, had seven sons. They were Christian. They were, they were commanded to... Uh, by the emperor to sacrifice to heathen deities. She refused and was carried to the temple of Hercules, beaten and hung up for a few days by the hair of her head. And after being taken down, a large stone was fastened to her neck and she was thrown into the river where she drowned. Each of her seven sons were fastened to seven posts and their bodies pulled apart by pulleys and ropes, their limbs dislocated, Six of them were martyred by stabbing. The youngest was sawed in half because they would not be canceled. Phocas, bishop of Pontus, refusing to sacrifice to Neptune under the order of Emperor Trajan, was cast into a hot kiln and burned and then thrown into a boiling bath where he was boiled to death. Christian named John, after being dreadfully scourged and beaten, was compelled to hold fire in his hands and at the same time 
Strips of linen dipped in oil were put on his side and set on fire. His flesh was then torn with red hot pliers, and at last he was killed by being torn to pieces by wild beasts. Not because they were obnoxious, just simply because they would not be canceled in their message and faithfulness to Christ. The martyrs of lions were compelled to sit in red-hot iron chairs until their flesh broiled. Vipodius was severely beaten and then put on the rack upon which being stretched, his flesh was torn with iron hooks. And having borne his torrents and with incredible patience and unshakable fortitude, he was taken off the rack and beheaded. Reyes had, was boil, had boiled pitch poured on her head and then she was burnt alive. Story after story. Julian, a native of Sicily, uh, Sicilia, uh, he was put in a leather bag with a number of of snakes and scorpions sewn shut and in that condition thrown into the sea. Peter, a young Christian, was ordered to be stretched upon a wheel by which all his bones were broken and then he was sent off to be beheaded, none of them recanting their faith, none of them being quiet, none of them allowing themselves to be canceled. Nicomachus was a young Christian who upon his torture recanted, they let him off the rack and he fell down dead. A young 16-year-old girl was watching this happen who was a Christ follower. Her name was Denisa. And she said, watching him recant, she said of him, Oh, unhappy wretch, why would you buy a moment's ease at the expense of a miserable eternity? So they beheaded her. 16-year-old girl. Agatha, a Sicilian, was scourged, burnt with hot irons, and torn with sharp hooks. Having borne these torments with admirable fortitude, she was next laid naked upon live coals intermingled with glass, then carried back to her prison where she died. That's a smidge of 25 pages of this book. man after woman, boy after girl, who rather than being canceled, understood Jesus' words. If the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. It's going to try to cancel you. I don't want you to fall away when these things happen. You don't think you can handle it now. I'm going to send you a helper. This is our DNA. This is our heritage. These are our forefathers and foremothers. These are the shoulders on which we stand. These are those surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. Let us run the race that is before us. Did you know this is what you were signing up for? President Biden, in his ignorance and arrogance, said of a group this week, they are the bravest and most inspiring people he has met. He is wrong. 
these are. Can I go on a little bit more? Jesus then says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. Look what he says. None of you asks me where you're going. Rather, you're so filled with grief because I told you what's going to happen. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to return to my father now. And none of you ask about me. He says, I'm going back to glory. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to go back to the throne that I left so I can come here to save you. And I'm going back to be restored to my glory and my power and my authority where I am. And none of you ask about me because you're so self-centered and full of grief, worried about you, you're missing the key element of all of redemptive history that has come upon you. You can participate with this in me if you want to, but you're so concerned about you, you're missing me. They were thinking only of themselves and only of their loss, and oh, but what about me now? that they miss the participation of being a part of the central story of all of redemption. Listen, self-centeredness, which is what they were full of at this point, self-centeredness makes spiritual dwarves out of those who should be spiritual giants. God, rather than your kingdom, what about me and what I want? Rather than suffer for a little bit because I don't want to do it that way. And they came so fearful and so discouraged, they missed what God wanted to do. Here's the thing. Guard against discouragement and fear because it will blind you to God's provision and blessing. Jesus makes a profound statement in verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look, it's for your benefit that I'm not with you anymore. Can you believe that? Like, like I don't know if any of you have spent much time talking about, you know, thinking about what it would be like if Jesus, like, sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, man, if I was there with Jesus, I wouldn't doubt. Look at all he did. Like, if I was there. And I got to see him do that and walk on water and heal the person and raise out from the dead. I, would, I wouldn't doubt at all, man, if I was there. Have any of you ever felt that way? Like if I could just see him, like if he showed up now, I would, like, I'd be all in. And Jesus is like, look, it's for your good that I'm not with you. It's not good. If I stayed here, uh-uh. The best thing I can do is leave you. Why? Because I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit that will be with you forever. It's amazing to me that the universal presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and the believer is greater than the bodily presence of Christ among us. That's what he's saying. Do, do you realize, if you're a Christ follower, do you realize the resource that is available to, uh, to you, to us? Like Jesus said, it's better for the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with you and in my church than it is for Jesus, for myself to be with you in body. It's amazing. Amazing. It's amazing that we haven't availed ourselves to him. 
It's amazing. The, the, the proof that it's better that the Holy Spirit is with us than Jesus in body, the proof is the fact that look at the disciples before the crucifixion, full of weakness, fear, and timidity. And after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, the Holy Spirit's given. Now they consider themselves worthy and joyful to suffer for the name of Christ. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you this helper. And he's with you forever. He will testify about me through your lips. So open your lips. Even when they try to cancel, even try to try to shut you up, open your lips about me because then the Holy Spirit will speak. And then Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to do three things. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. He's going to do three things. He'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And then he explains about sin because people don't believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, look, the Holy Spirit has three, three, three roles in your life and in the world. As it testifies about Jesus, as he testifies about Jesus, Holy Spirit's a he, not an it. As he testifies about Jesus, he has three roles in that. One, to convict the world of sin and convict us of sin. That word convict means to expose or to call to repentance. The role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our church, in your life, is to convict you of sin, to convict me of sin, to convict us of sin, so that we will, not out of, not to shame us or destroy us, but so that we will repent. Because in repentance is God's grace. And God has so much grace, so much favor, so much blessing to give us. Once we repent of our sin, the best thing that a Christ follower can do is say, Holy Spirit, convict me of my sin so that I can repent because it's in repentance that I receive the grace of God. And the grace of God is beautiful and amazing. The best thing that you can do if you call yourself a Christ follower is that's the Holy Spirit in you to call you to a conviction of sin and then repent. Paul said, where, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. It's a beautiful thing to be convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin that leads you to repentance because in that repentance is this beautiful grace. The world and even the church has become confused about what sin is. And now we call normal what we once called sin. And the Holy Spirit's role is to convince us and convict us of sin so that we can repent and experience the grace of God. And it's beautiful. The other role of the Holy Spirit, the second role of the Holy Spirit, is to convict the world of righteousness, that they got it wrong. To convict the world that, that the world's way of righteousness is to be good and to be obedient and to be religious and make sure you're not doing anything wrong. And the Holy Spirit's role is to convict people of righteousness. It's not about your activity. It's about being the righteousness of Christ, coming to Christ in faith and accepting the righteousness that he has given over us. not about your behavior. So it's safe to admit my wrong behavior because in my admitting my wrong behavior, I repent and get grace and I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. Third thing the Holy Spirit does is to convert the world of judgment. That sin must be judged and it will be judged. And that God has offered the judgment and condemnation of sin and leveled it on Christ. 
That's why the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when I am in Christ, I avail myself to the, to, to the judgment that has been labeled against him for my sin. And now there is no judgment against me because my sin has been judged against him. And then Jesus follows up with this phrase, and, and, and that evil, the prince of the world, has stands condemned. And so he no longer has authority over me because I stand. The righteousness of God, my sin being judged against Christ, so I can admit my sin and repent and be declared righteous and receive the grace of God. It's amazing. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit in me, in you, and in God's church. The best thing you can do, friends, is say, Holy Spirit, do what you do. Convict me of sin. I repent. Thank you that I am made the righteousness of God and that Jesus has accepted my judgment. Beautiful. And this is the role of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how long people have lived without the acknowledgement and the reception of what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus says, I got so much more to tell you, but my time's running out. I know how it feels. <laughs> I got a lot more to say, but the band's getting ready to come up, so I need to cut this off. He <laughs> says, I have so much more to tell you, more than you can outbear. Even if I could tell you, can handle it. You can't handle the truth. You know, it's just like one of those, like, it's too much, so much. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what what's yet to come. When Jesus says he will, he will lead you into all the truth, he, he will tell you all things, it doesn't mean he's going to tell us new stuff. The, the totality of God is already conveyed in the Old Testament, let alone the New Testament, so it's already there. What Jesus is saying is he will lead you into the revelation of it all. It won't be new, it'll just be deep. Did you ever realize, you know, you read the Bible and think, how did they miss it? How did they miss Jesus? How did they miss the Messiah? All the Old Testament stuff was pointing to him. And then he showed up. How did they miss it? Well, they missed it because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet to reveal the depth of it, the beauty of it. This is why hindsight is always backwards once the Holy Spirit reveals it. The Holy Spirit won't give new information about God. It'll just give depth to it and understanding to it. And so all of this pep talk, look, it's coming. Don't shrink back. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be the one that's going to enable you to walk this faithfully. He ends this whole pep talk with, with the truth that every one of us needs to, needs to know and appropriate for ourselves. Look at what he says in verse 32. The time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. Now look what he says. You will leave me all alone. You ever been there? You're going to leave me all alone. I thought you were going to be by my side, and you're not. I thought we had something going on, and it's not. I had people in my life that I thought would always be, and they're not. You ever been there? And then he says, yet, I'm not really alone. Because my father's with me. 
It might feel as though I am an island unto myself now. It may feel as though those who should be with me have left me. It may feel as though I'm not only alone, I am lonely. But Jesus says, I'm never alone. Why? Because my father, he's, he's referring to way back in Deuteronomy verse uh, chapter 31, verse when Moses is talking to the people and Moses tells them, the Lord himself goes before you. The Lord himself will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Even though you feel alone, even though others have walked away, even though it feels like there's no one else around, your father will never leave you nor forsake you. So don't be discouraged. Don't be sure. What Jesus is saying, and what we know from Scripture, when the Bible says God goes before us and is with us, he means literally that God walks in front of you, that God goes first, that you're not walking into anything that God is not already there. And because he's already there, he knows the other side of it. And because he knows the other side of it, he can walk you through it. So though you might feel is you don't know what you're walking into, though you might feel that you don't know what tomorrow brings, though you might feel that you don't know what the future is, God is in front of you walking ahead of you already there. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. It means he will never draw quiet. He will never silence his voice. He will never abandon you nor neglect you. So don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. That word afraid is the Hebrew word for dread. You know what dread is? It's when everything is dark. It's when everything is dark and there are no answers, there's only despair. When you feel like it's just time to end it all. It says, don't be full of dread. God is, the Father's with you. And don't be discouraged. It means don't let your heart be shattered and broken. Though others may abandon you, God never will. Don't let your heart be shattered. Don't let your heart stay broken. For the Lord is with you wherever you go. And Jesus says, I want to give you the Holy Spirit to be with you continually, who will fulfill this role continually in your heart if you invite him in. He's your helper in every need. I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you in this moment, if you've not yet, to become a part of this family of faith. And if you are a part of this family of faith, invite the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And in this moment, I'm going to invite you just to say something simple. Like, Jesus, I need you. And I want you to come to me. Because this morning I'm coming to you. Come say, Father, I repent. I admit my sin. And I want to do stuff differently. 
no matter the cost. Would you ask him, would you say, Holy Spirit, please convict me of my sin. Please convict me of, of how my agenda is different than yours. Convict me, not for my destruction, but for my repentance. And as I repent, give me all that your grace will allow me, Father. All that your grace will allow me. Would you with authenticity, would you just say, I, I, I know that you're with me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd help me feel your presence. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Thank you that you'll never forsake me. And then say in affirmation, I will not be afraid and I will not be discouraged. Father, I ask that in this moment as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. make us yours. In your name I pray, amen. Listen, I love you and I love opening up the Bible. It is so transformative and sometimes it hits a little different than what we think it will. But it is good. His laws, his precepts, his commandments are good. They revive our soul. They give light to our eyes. It's, 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 it's the Spirit of God through His Word that is live and active, sharpening any two-edged sword to recreate what's been destroyed and give new life to what's dead. And it's a joy to get to open up its pages and, and go through it with you. I, I want to give you this opportunity. I, I've written um, a little book. It's about 80 pages long or so, and it deals with 12 fundamentals of the Christian faith. Uh, and I think there's only 15 for this service available. We can print more if we need to. They're at the Start Here booth. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus or if you feel like you're kind of young in your faith with, with some of the, the, the key doctrinal issues, it's not an academic book. It's a real practical, easy to understand thing. And it won't answer all your questions, but it'll give you a springboard from which to start on 12 key principles of the Christian faith and what it means to be a Christ follower. If, if, if that interests you, you're welcome. Like I said, I think we got 15 for the service only. So they're at the Start Here booth. If that serves you well, make, make use of it. I, I want us to grow up in our faith. And I want to guard against us believing things about the Bible and about God that are synchronistic with the culture. This is a beautiful, beautiful revelation of God. But we got to be super clear about what it is. Uh, and so hopefully that little booklet will help you. If, if they're all gone after this service, we'll print more for next week and pick them up then. But I love you. The best thing we can do right now is draw our hearts to heaven. Let's sing a little bit about this God called Yahweh.